I mean, you got a family, a home, and a job from Home Exchange, right? Isn't that like three the three things right there? When you when you put it that way, it makes me feel very very vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 183, the highest point in the contiguous U.S., Mount Whitney, is only 76 miles from the lowest point in the contiguous U.S., Death Valley. I guess California really does have it all. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a man who has founded Latin America's leading online language school, is a recovering attorney, and whose daughter was actually born on a home exchange and inside a home exchange home. This is a man who practices what he preaches, Jim Pickle, president of homeexchange.com. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. That was uh, quite a mouthful and I think uh, you got it pretty much right. You are coming to us from, I won't, I won't say an exotic location, but you are, you are traveling right now as we're recording this podcast, which is always the most fun to do is talk to people who are, you know, on a remote location while they're podcasting. So where are you today? Uh, today I'm in Cortina d'Ampezzo, which is uh, the home of the 1956 Olympics in the Dolomites. And it's uh, one of my wife and my favorite places on the planet. We, we absolutely love it here. And what are you doing over there? How long will you be there? Because I know before we started the podcast, you were talking that you, you travel quite a bit to Italy because that's always an issue with the internet in Italy and, and kind of disconnecting and stuff like that. Yeah, so my wife is Italian. Uh, she moved to the United States probably about 20 years ago, and we've made it a tradition to get over here at least once a year. It's really important to us. Our two children, my son's five and my daughter's two, they are multilingual and uh, getting them time with the culture, the language and their family has always been important to us. So, and, and why we're here, we do everything from enjoy family, obviously the incredible food and culture, but when we're in Cortina specifically, it's a little hard to translate to Americans, including myself, when my wife told me she loved to hike. But uh, over the last, I don't know, 15 days, we've probably hiked well over 100 miles in the Alps, and it's different than anything I've ever experienced. So just a, uh, a real shift and in, in learning experience for me. Yeah, that's one of the things I've noticed, especially abroad and even in outside of like Pennsylvania, where I live, Philadelphia area, you know, you get out to Colorado in the West, is that this outdoor lifestyle is just... I mean, it permeates the lifestyle. It's not like you make a conscious decision really to do it. It just kind of everyone seems to be doing it. And I think that's so neat when you go somewhere 
where it's just built into the lifestyle as opposed to, hey, I have to go exercise or something like that. It's like you're just hiking because you're in a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, you know, I was at the Milan Expo a few weeks ago, and there was a Latin phrase that appeared on the wall. Uh, I think it's pronounced genius Loki, and uh, you may have heard it. (laughs) Maybe I'm new to the expression, but basically it's uh, that in order to get a sense of an area, you have to really experience the area. It doesn't, the, the spirit doesn't exist without the understanding. And that's one of the things I love about both travel and here and anywhere uh, that we visit is really trying to peel back the layers of the onion and, and having that authentic experience like a local would. I mean, I get the question all the time, and I'm sure you get it as well. Like, when are you going to stop traveling? It's like this idea that you have like a canister or something. You're just filling it up, and at some point you're going to be full, and then that's when you stop traveling. And I just look at people. I I mean, there's no way to answer that. For me, I just say, oh, ha-ha, never. You know, I guess that's the only way to answer it. But I just, I don't understand it because even when I go back to places, as you mentioned, there's so many layers to travel and you see something new every time you're there and it's constantly changing. I mean, you go to Thailand today and you go and you would have went five years ago. It, it looks completely different. So I don't know. Do you get that? And how do you respond? I need a better response, Jim, because I don't know what to say to people. Well, you said you don't get it. And I, I think I get it because I was probably one of those people at some point in my life. Uh, I was an economics major, who knows, 25, 30 years ago. And for a lot of my life, I kept thinking, all right, I need to invest. I need to, when I spend money, I want it to be in appreciating assets and travel doesn't fit nicely with that philosophy. You know, how are you building net worth and planning for retirement? And at some point, probably in the last decade, I always loved to travel, but I never really understood uh, how to categorize it. At some point, I realized that uh, the way in which it enriches my life and my family's life and the passion I have for it and and the experiences, there's really no price you can put on it. And uh, I'm not saying uh, my budget is, is limitless or priceless, but I've now realize that it's such a critical part of my life, my family's life. And it, it really, it's one of our, uh, we have some core values in, in our family and I think, uh, and core loves and, and I put travel in that category. And, and I think it's hard to share with others that haven't ex- quite experienced what you and I are describing. But once they experience it, I think it's hard for them ever to go back to seeing the world and the way they, you know, spend their time and money the same way. That is a really good way to put it. That's what I'm going to answer whenever anyone asks me. I'm going to say, well, I have a friend, Jim, who does understand what you're saying. And then I'll just go into that story. I think you're right if you think about it from that perspective. And and I do think that a lot of times the people who are asking that are people who haven't experienced travel in the way that I have. I'm very fortunate to get to do it as, as a profession and, and, you know, almost constantly and see a lot of things that a lot of people will never see. But I, you know, when someone does take off on that trip and they come back, I never hear, oh man, that really sucked. I can't wait to sit at home on the couch again, you know, and not go traveling. So yeah, it's once you kind of dip that toe in, I think you, you just fall further and further and further in love with traveling. 
And I think that's when it doesn't make sense to be done with it. But I, I think you're right that when you haven't done it, it, I guess it's an easy question to ask someone because you see it in terms of regular life, boom, you know, this is how you progress type, type of thing. Well, yeah, my wife and I, for a year, I uh, was an expat in, in Tokyo when I worked for Sony. And uh, the number one question everyone asked when we came home was, was it fun? And through that lens, you realize, well, that, that's just the wrong question to ask. You know, there were, it was amazingly hard and, you know, we didn't have our stuff with us and we didn't speak the language, but ultimately it, the experience runs so much deeper the it, because it was this sense of discovery of ourselves of each other and of others and i think that's really what drives a lot of people to travel is that sense that you know they're adventurers and uh uh it, it's not always fun <laughs> when it's <laughs> you're on top of a mountain and you're 3 hours from the nearest refugio in italy and it starts pouring raining and thundering but if I think back to, you know, five of the best experiences of my life or most meaningful, I should say, they were probably somehow involving people and involving travel. You know, it wasn't sitting at home watching a movie. For right. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it wasn't fun question. We get that as well. We lived in Japan for two years and I, I always tell people it was an amazing experience and two years was plenty. Like after those two years, I was so ready to come home or, or just go to a different country because like you, we didn't speak the language. We were working in Japanese high schools and things like that. And um, yeah, but it, it changed my life. Those two years changed my life more than any other part of my life ever did because I started my business there. And, and you know, we just learned so much about ourselves and it really kind of spurred us on to say like travel is it like this is we're going to build this into our life. And I think it's much different to live in a place than it is to pass through. I mean, two weeks in Japan or a month in Japan, even two months, you can have as much fun as you want. I mean, it can be amazing every single day, probably for two months, but it's not going to be amazing every day for a year or every day for two years. And I think that changes how you like when you approach travel that way or, or life that way, things definitely change. Couldn't agree with you more. And and you can get the uh, insert brand name hotel experience that strives for consistency around the world, almost anywhere in the world, or at least in major cities. But I think ultimately, if you become addicted to travel and, and you see there's more to get than that, you start avoiding that experience and looking at how you can get more efficient at getting deeper into the uh, understanding of the people and the culture and the food and uh, the environment. And, and that's when it's so much more rewarding. For sure. Now, was there, because you mentioned that, you know, 10 years ago you were, you were doing the corporate thing, you know, your bio always says you're a recovering attorney, things like that. Was there an aha moment for you? Because you weren't traveling your whole life. You didn't grow up traveling, you know, in that type of lifestyle of like, this has always been ingrained in me and I'm going to do it constantly. Was there a moment that sticks out that you can say, you know, this was the point where I said, I'm going to make this a, a huge part of my life versus just a tertiary type thing? I think the, the antithesis of what you asked was 
walking into my first full-time job and being told that I should really wear my jacket as I walk to the elevator from my office in a New York Wall Street law firm, the aha moment was there's something really broken about the lifestyle I'd chosen that wasn't consistent with who I was. And I think that there might not have been an aha moment to where I got today, but if you look back at my life and the decisions I've made in my life, uh, they were all stepping stones to get myself closer to, you know, my own mission for myself. I mean, just at the highest level, uh, I chose uh, someone that didn't grow up in the United States that loved to travel and that on a whim, <laughs> also on essentially on spring break from law school, came to the United States and decided not to go back. That's my wife. You know, right after uh, building our first home together, uh, probably a week later, I got an offer to go run a business in Tokyo from Sony. And uh, I asked my wife and without hesitation, within one minute, both of us said, why not? We sold our dream home a week later. And uh, the, the expression then when I referred to our family values, one of them is don't cry over anything that can't cry over you right? The, the physical things aren't really what matters. And uh, throughout my life, there's a very consistent story of moving closer and closer to this norm. And the norm in my life is really trying to make it more about people and experiences, a lot of which comes from travel uh, and flexibility and freedom and having the ability to choose where you want to go and who you want to be with. That's been a pretty consistent choice since that first job I had. And a lot of it involved moving away from something, not necessarily towards something. Uh, but now I think I'm pretty close to uh, where I feel really fulfilled in, in what I do. I'm hoping that my children, as they grow up, feel the same way because, you know, there's, it, 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 there's a romantic notion to travel. But as you know, there's a huge cost to travel. And I'm not talking financial. It's just, you know, there can be a lot of work involved. It's not always easy. You know, you, you hope your children pick up on how rewarding it can be because they give up certain things, you know, going to the beach every day with the next door neighbor where we live. Uh, they left them behind this summer and they've been on the road with us, but I can't imagine that they would have anywhere near the same experience uh, going to the beach every day. So, yeah, you do give up a lot. And I think that gets glossed over often. And that's one of the things we try to try to pull the curtain back on this podcast, because it is, it is, I would not trade the lifestyle I have for anything, but it isn't always the Facebook glamorous pictures, not by any stretch of the imagination. Is it always like that? And I think some of the trying times are some of the what make the rewarding times so great, but you do give up a lot. I mean, we came home and we have a home here in Philadelphia. We haven't lived here for five years. And so the last two weeks we spent like doing really gross, menial work of painting and scraping gnats off the wall, you know, like stuff that no one's going to want to do. But that gets, you know, we're not putting that on Facebook or Instagram because who wants to see that? But then people say like, oh, you guys are on vacation all the time. So I think it's it's nice to hear that. You do give up stuff. I mean, every time you're making a choice, you know, we're driving around in my friend's third car. So we don't have a nice car to drive around in. And it, it, it is choices. And again, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I like that you brought that up because I think that 
people, a lot of times, if they haven't traveled a lot, then they go into it thinking it's going to solve every issue or anything they might have. And I think a lot of times it does help change your mindset and help you become a better person and things like that. But it's not like a cure-all. Like you are giving stuff up and there are going to be trying times. And if you don't know that, I think you're going to be in for a little bit of a shock when something like that happens. When you're in the beach in Thailand, but something bad is happening to you. You just thought, hey, this is great. I'm at the beach in Thailand. So a little bit of reality check is is um, needed at times, I think. Yeah, the feedback I always get when we do post those great shots on Facebook is you know, are these for real or do you ever work? Right. And it, the, you're, you're working at two, three in the morning and at, at, at airports and you're walking down the street 30 minutes to a cafe to get what you need to done to get those shots and, and have those experiences. The, the other thing I'd add though, is it does get easier. And, uh, I think, and that's part of what you do, right? You, you, you try to help people with the tricks and tools of the trade to decrease the length of the learning curve. And part of the reason we've started our children traveling young, you know, the first time on an international flight for a one or two year old, you feel pretty bad for everyone sitting around you. But now my son's five, he's probably been to eight countries and on flights, you know, God knows 40 times he's a pro. <laughs> so little details like that, how you pack, what you pack, what you bring, you start to learn the tricks and it makes it a whole lot easier. And that does increase the enjoyment. So everyone appreciates shows like yours that gives them some of the insider tips uh, to make that struggle a little bit easier. And hopefully we can translate some of that to others. Yeah, that is the goal to to make the learning curve. I mean, there is going to be a learning curve, and and when I tell people I teach travel, they some people get it right away because they've they've either tried to travel and maybe they've done stuff unsuccessfully, and or or they just know that you know, hey, there is a lot to it. And some people look at me like, well, what do you mean travel? You just like you get on a plane and you go and this and that. And those people might do just fine. Like some people just they want to do it on their own. And so when I tell people that, you get you know, kind of perplexed looks from some people, but it is the idea that there's ways that you can do it that are going to be make your life easier, more convenient, better, cheaper, all that stuff wrapped into one. And, you know, we've learned the hard way through a lot of bad experiences and a lot of wasting money in different ways that there is a other side of the coin to it. And sometimes you have to learn that on your own, but there are ways that you can fast track that. And I think one of the cool things that you guys do it at home exchange. And selfishly, I'm super interested in this because I, I've never actually done it. I've never done a home exchange because for the past five years, we didn't have this home that we were living in to exchange. We you know, would go on Airbnb and we'd rent people's places. We've done house sitting and people who listen to this podcast know I love house sitting um, as an awesome way to have an authentic experience, to, to dive in, to usually have extended stays if you want. You know, you can stay in places for a month, two months where, you know, both you and I know if you're running a hotel or even if you're in a hostel or anything like that, it's going to get pricey if you're away for a longer time. I want you to talk a little bit about home exchange and how it works because I think it's a really neat idea, a really great way for someone to travel, especially if they do want, I don't want to say an easier way, but a way to kind of settle in and, and maybe make it more comfortable for them because they're not you know just in a hotel room. They're actually have the comforts of home while they're traveling. 
Sure. So let me start at the highest level, which is pretty simple. You stay in my home and I stay in yours. And uh, we've been running the business that way for 23 years. Uh, I joined more recently, but the founder, Ed Cushions, uh, started with a very similar passion like you and me, a love for travel, and he wanted to share the world with his kids, and it was expensive. And uh, he started with a printed catalog, you know, envision a pen pal, so to speak, where you lick a stamp and you send it over to wherever you want to go if you want to take your kids that have been studying French for five years for their first time to Paris, you lick a stamp, send it over, and uh, either at the same time, simultaneously, or non-simultaneously, uh, that family would come to your house. And uh, over 23 years, he built the business up. We now have uh, 66,000 listings in 150 countries around the world. Really, the way I like to think about it is you're exchanging homes and a lot of people in the last 10 years have become familiar with the phenomenon of peer-to-peer rentals and uh, through Airbnb and whatnot, but there's a pretty significant difference. It's not just about exchanging homes. It's really about exchanging an experience. So while let's say 25% of our listings are second homes, uh, the majority are primary homes. And my my family and 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 I we we've done uh, twenty one exchanges. I'm counting now over the last three years. Wow. Uh, wow. We'd been a member of Home Exchange for almost two years before we even did our first. I had no association with the company at all, and we had a second home down in Baja California near Cabo San Lucas. You know, I grew up in Southern California. Loved to go down there to surf and and fish and have Mexican food and uh, swim. And we started our very first request. We wanted to be near some family that uh, my family, I had someone in the family, family member that was going through some health issues. And in the summertime in Southern California to be close by was prohibitively expensive. So we uh, looked into our membership at home exchange. And I asked my wife, Hey, why don't we just home exchange and try that out? And she said, well, you know, we constantly get requests from Belgium and, uh, uh, Amsterdam and, you know, Alaska, all over the world. We Everyone wants to surf and eat Mexican food and, <laughs> right. uh, swim, right? right? <laughs> uh, we've, we, we've never accepted one yet. And I said, well, let's send some nice emails out. And, uh, canvas the area uh, near where my family was at the time. And long story short, one of the responses was, uh, he, he didn't disclose it at the time, but a very nice response was, hey, my home's unavailable, but would love to meet you for breakfast. And another response was a mile from where I grew up uh, on a quaint little island in Newport Beach, California, in a beautiful home. Uh, an artist said, I heard great things about your little town of Todos Santos in Baja, California. That was literally our first exchange was uh, to a home in Newport Beach. And uh, that was three years ago or over three years now. Uh, we're actually renting that home from the owner now. and <laughs> We've become good friends. Uh, a few months after that, I sat down to breakfast with one of the other people who responded and 
two hours into an incredible breakfast talking about our love for travel, he disclosed, well, first he asked, hey, what do you want to do with the next chapter of your life? Because I had recently sold a business. And I said, you know, I want to do something that changes people's lives for the better. And uh, he said, well, how would you like to work with Home Exchange? It's my company. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and part of what we were talking about leading into all of this, just the adventure and the other element is the serendipity that happens when you really open yourselves up to the world and sort of put yourself in the hands of what's going to happen next that's when it gets so rewarding and fun, right? So I not only ended up in the home that I live in now, and hopefully I'm someday going to buy that house from the woman I exchanged with, uh, I ended up meeting the founder of the company. And on top of it all, my wife is, uh, I wouldn't quite say phobic of hospitals, but you know, in European way, she really wanted to give birth to our children at home. She asked the permission of the owner of the home. We were renting at this time. Hey, do you mind if I deliver at home <laughs> with a midwife? And the woman, you know, practically had tears in her eyes. She said, well, uh, I raised all my kids there. I've been in that house for four years. Nothing would make me happier. So my daughter, Madison, is two and a half years old now. Uh, we joke at the company that she's the youngest home exchanger in the world. And all of these things just absolutely pure serendipity. It wasn't like we could plot a course. And the reason I'm telling you this story is when I travel around the world and when I sit down and talk to home exchangers, inevitably every one of them has these amazing stories of personal connections they've had all around the world that is really, I won't say the sole motivation for their home exchange because a lot of people join to save a few bucks, but the reason they continue to do it and the reason they stay around and stay uh, with the concept is life-altering personal experiences and interaction with other people is why they do it. That's why it's so rewarding. I mean, you got a family a home and a job from home exchange, right? Isn't that like three, the three things right there? When you, when you put it that way, it makes me feel very, very vulnerable. <laughs> I'm on the concept right now, but that's right. I think that is so true that, you know, what we try to teach is, you know, the tagline is, you know, travel more, spend less. And so, so that idea of spending less money is inherent in the kind of the way that we teach people to travel, because I think that twofold, one, if you spend less on certain things, you can continue to travel longer, right? Like if you have $5,000 to travel and you blow it all in the first two weeks in New York City, well, then you're going home and you're not traveling. So one of the reasons is like, hey, you can travel more if, if you find out ways to do it. The other is that I found the ways that are out there to travel cheaper are usually not always, but usually the more authentic ways. I mean, you just, you're digging deeper, you know, you're not floating above a culture or a community because you're staying in, you know, a $300 hotel or what have you, and you're eating at only the nicest restaurants. And that's fine to do certain times. Like I'm not saying I never stay at hotels or go out to nice things to eat, but predominantly our travel is trying to get closer to the ground, closer to the people, closer to the culture, and when you do that, you find opportunities like home exchanges, like house sits, like 
you know, uh, boutique hostels or guest houses like that are that are run by people in the community or that have lived in the community for a long time. And you have these experiences like you like you said that are they seem serendipitous and I guess they are, but it's really because you're actually you're you're putting yourself out there. They wouldn't happen if you didn't put yourself out there. And I, I think that's really the mission is to travel in a more authentic way. And usually you'll find that that allows you to travel longer because you're doing it cheaper and, and people are seeing the way you're doing it and you're opening yourself up and all this stuff happens that, that you never would have found out if you did it in a different way. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I heard a term that I'm sure you've heard well before me recently. I had to ask what it meant. It was the aspirational millennial. And I said, yeah, I haven't really heard that before. And I think, you know, we skew a little bit older than the couch surfing crowd uh, because people tend to, it, it, they, they also rent, but a lot more own their homes. And I, I asked, well, what, what's an aspirational millennial? And, and the response was, well, it's millennials that want to live a life beyond their means. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I thought, well, why is that just millennials? Isn't right. that everyone, right? <laughs> And uh, what I've seen with travel, when you go especially to high tourist zones in Mexico, uh, they call areas gringo traps, right? Um, and I, I've seen what I refer to as the dual economy, that there's an economy for locals and then there's an economy for the people traveling through. And the reality is the locals know the area a whole lot better and they usually know the restaurants and activities and what to do a lot better than any of the tourist traps. Like I said, I come to Italy a lot, and one of my, my the love-hate relationships with the city is Venice. Uh, Venice, if you go the wrong time of the year to the wrong restaurant, you pay $18 for a beer, and if you go with a local down a dark alley to a little pop-up uh, in Oteca, uh, you can have, uh, you know, maybe now it's uh, a, a euro, but it used to be <laughs> 50, 50 cents. You can have a Prosecco or a glass of wine. And uh, over and over, I've seen that, that it's not just a cheaper way of experience a region. Uh, it's a better way, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there is a real major shift and pushback The uh, people leaving the traditional way of traveling with hotels and, and looking for others, it's not just a cost issue. And that's where the hotel industry is really mistaken. It's because people want to get closer to the real experience of living uh, in an area and, and meeting the people. And you can meet some pretty interesting uh, people and in traveling through hotels, but you meet a lot more interesting people when you get close to the locals. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I do think that uh, Venice in specifically, we went to Venice and we stayed in an apartment rental, but it was the same idea. You know, we're, we're in a area of town that's all locals and you can't, you know, there was no hotels around. You wouldn't have been able to stay in a hotel out there because they didn't exist. It was a local area. And, you know, we'd go down into the tourist area and it'd be rammed and we'd see what we want to see. And then we'd walk back and we're like, this is really nice to be coming back to an area where like kids are kicking soccer balls up against the wall and running around and old ladies are, you know, hanging laundry out of the window and things like that. I mean, that's what I want to see. And I think you're right that so many people are striving for that type of travel. 
and I think the issue is that you, you, you can't make it happen, right? I mean, people, like, when I tell stories of, oh, we were in Indonesia, and we met this amazing guy, and he took us to this, like, hidden rice field, and, you know, he didn't speak English, but he just told us to follow him, and we did, and we're like, is this, where are we going? And then we go to this rice field, and there's no one around, and yet, you know, two miles up the road, like, everyone's at the Longi rice fields, and it's rammed with tourists. You know, you can't make it happen. And people say, like, I want that experience too. But you ha- you can put yourself in positions for it to happen. And some of that is is with the home exchanges or renting apartments and, and getting them from local people who can give you that type of advice. And maybe they have friends who are going to show you around. And some of that is, I think, also traveling to a place for a longer time. And I know that's not possible for everyone, of course. But what we found is that when you have time to dig in, that kind of stuff will happen because you're not running around in three days trying to see everything you 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 need to see in in Ubud in Bali, right? You you have days where you're just wandering around doing nothing, and that's when the stuff happens. And I think that's one of the big benefits of home exchange of house sitting is that you know if you're going somewhere for a longer time, you're going to be paying more money if you're paying for accommodations, and maybe you can't afford that. Yet, if you're somewhere for free and, and you're taking care of their pets or, you know, doing something like that, all of a sudden you can be somewhere for a month because it, it makes it affordable. It makes there a lot more options. Absolutely. Case in point, I asked my son the day before yesterday, I said, so which do you like better, Newport Beach or Cortina? And, you know, of course, wherever we are, hopefully he really likes it. So uh, it's like the last person you talk to that gives you advice has the biggest influence. But he said, Cortina. And I said, well, why? And he said, because the two girls upstairs are teaching me how to cook. And, you know, they keep bringing him upstairs and showing him how to make cookies and stuff like that. And he's talking to them in Italian and he's learning Italian and he's going upstairs in Italian. And, and uh, we're in a, it looks like a Tyrolean three-story, it's really an apartment, but that wouldn't describe it, right? And there's families and they interact, right? There's no way uh, you can avoid getting to know them or bumping into them, right? And that's been the highlight of his experience for the summer. And and, and just to touch on some of the the other things that happen specifically with home exchange, I think when you can save money on some of these things that I'll describe, you have more money to do other things um, maybe side trips that you couldn't otherwise afford probably. So with home exchange, about 30% of our members include cars. So, you know, that makes a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, over that's a month awesome. or two, yep. Right. And sometimes you don't even have the discussion and you walk in and it's just assumed, which that's not really my style, but we have walked into a few exchanges and the keys are on the counter. It says, you know, take the X, Y, Z. And sometimes it's a pretty nice car. Uh, but then there's all the, uh, not quite intangibles, but sometimes there's, you know, memberships to a little beach or a club or tickets. For example, we went last night to a hockey game. They had season tickets and they left the tickets out. The fact that you have a kitchen, whether it's a a rental or a home exchange, but a, a fully furnished kitchen and we did a survey of our members and a huge percentage are um, really gourmets and into cooking. So some of the kitchens, they're fully stocked. They have all the 
amenities, the pan, the pots and pans and sharp knives and, you know, makes a big difference and nothing provides a better way to get to know an area than going down to the local market and picking out your fruits and vegetables and the fish or whatnot. Uh, and then just uh, a lot of the other stuff, if you are exchanging with a family and it's their, uh, year round home, uh, there are people in my home right now and they're enjoying our beach cruisers and our stand up paddle boards and our kayaks. And, uh, you know, I want to be enjoying that right now. (laughs) Well, uh, let's, uh, let's start the conversation. And, (laughs) and, uh, the one other thing that has been a big shift for us, we used to drag our dog everywhere we went, or at least my wife (laughs) insisted we did. And this is the longest we've ever left our dog behind. And it's because of the confidence we have in the concept that you, you know, if you're exchanging with someone that's uh, uh, passionate about their pets or their animals, you you can see in their profile and, you know, 50% of their pictures have uh, a rover in the background running with a big smile, you feel a whole lot more comfortable that, your pet's going to be well cared for. We would never leave our pet in a kennel, but we would occasionally, and we're very selective, we would leave our dog uh, with other home exchangers that we felt shared uh, our our concern for the health and safety of our, our animal. Those are neat perks, and I, I keep bringing it back to housing a little bit because that's what I've done. I mean, in essence, a similar thing, uh, except you're not exchanging, you're, you're going and looking after someone's thing. But it is when you get those perks, you know, I tell people they it runs the gamut, right? I mean, people say, oh, well, you know, like if I'm going to house sit or home exchange, what what can I expect? And I I mean, you can speak to the home exchange part or the house sitting part. I said, listen, you can get one bedroom apartments in a city. You can get castles, you know, in the countryside. It can you can have a car. You cannot have a car. I mean, it is it really is every situation is different. And I think that's one of the neat parts about doing things like that and traveling that way is that everything is going to have its little quirks and that's going to make it fun and it might make it a little challenging at times. You're not going to go to a hotel and there's a concierge and boom, boom, boom. But it's this idea of more authentic travel like we've been talking about that that definitely happens. And then when you have a car like we were in Breckenridge, Colorado, you know, this aspirational millennial thing like I was living that for a month and a half in Breckenridge. We had a BMW. We had a hot tub that overlooked the mountain. It was ski in, ski out. And I'm like, well, okay. I mean, yeah, who's not going to sign up for this type of thing, right? What type of homes do you see exchanged on home exchange. So if someone's listening and, and there probably is a lot of people saying like, all right, this sounds, this sounds really neat. This sounds up my alley. What can they expect? Like, uh, do the homes run the gamut like they do with house sitting or is there a certain type of home that's more common? And then after that, like, what are some of, you must've seen some really cool, neat places pop up. What, what can people expect? You know, on, uh, like you said, it, it really does run the gamut. Uh, and it's, there, there are a lot of similarities with online dating. And one of the biggest misconceptions is no one will want my home. And I always say, well, there's someone for everyone, right? And I think the difference, though, is if you're dating online and you're looking to settle down and, you know, find the perfect soulmate, when you think about it, if you're a little bit flexible in what you're looking for, and this is the biggest, I, I literally over and over and over again, I've seen 
newcomers to the home exchange uh, concept go through the shift where they start out trying to do a uh, almost like balancing the books and accounting and thinking what their house is worth or what their vacation home's worth, or at least this is how I started. Well, right? and this is exactly what I was thinking when I was talk- thinking about home exchanging my home. Like as you're talking, I'm like, all right, our home's like this. It's four bedroom. It's like not in the city. I don't know. Why would anyone want to come here? Let me find a comparable like level is exactly what I was thinking. And And as my... The way of viewing it has approaching it myself has evolved. So it's a little bit the analogy. The way I see it now is imagine if you were uh, walking on the street with a, a stranger and you both had a lottery ticket and just for fun uh, they dropped and you know you you picked up the other person's ticket and let's say you're never going to see this person again and the next day you won an amount some amount of money both of you are winning and. Over and over and over, the reaction I've seen on home exchanging, it doesn't matter whether you what you gave up because your house was probably going to be sitting vacant. The fact is, you just picked a lot of winning lottery ticket up off the ground. And in the 21 exchanges I've done, every time the the utility we get, the enjoyment we get, the experience we get, you stop at some point. You stop putting a price tag on it, and uh, you reference Breckenridge. My son is five and a half years old, and two seasons ago, I decided, "Hey, I'd love to get him involved in skiing." I grew up skiing. I loved to ski, and I started. My wife and I hadn't skied together in seven years. It had been a while because of the kids and stuff. And uh, I started looking, and I was shocked. Wow, a day ticket's $100, a day rental's $50, a day lesson for the kids, $100. You start adding it up. You said, well, this isn't isn't the sport I grew up with. This is polo or something now, right? And all of a sudden, I realized, well, if I don't need to pay anything for accommodations at all, right? And – Keep in mind, a lot of these places, as I said, they have sleds and cars. Some even have skis. Right. Um, all of a sudden, well, maybe I can fit this in. Maybe the kids could grow up with skiing the way I did. And for the last two seasons, both seasons, we've been we've been in Mammoth two, three times, three times. We've been in uh, Park City, and we've been in Big Sky, Montana, both years. The kids have got twenty days. My my son, my daughter, just started. We got 20 days of skiing in. There's no way I, I, I could have done that or I would have done that and made that a part of their life. Uh, home exchanges made that available. And so when I walk into the ski house, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a discriminating traveler on some level. There's things I like and things I don't like. But if you give me a ski cabin that's within walking distance or a, a close shuttle ride to a ski lift that I don't need to pay for, it's a lottery ticket to me. I'm, I'm not, not, it, notwithstanding what my house is, whether my house is bigger or nicer, could rent for more, that thought has l- totally stopped going through my head. Every time we walk into these places, we have a big smile on our face because it's another adventure. And it's, it, it doesn't need to cost any more than the cost of staying at home other than getting there. So. Right. What are what are some of the neatest places that you've seen like come through home exchange? Are there some that you've either actually gone and, and lived in, or are there some that have come through that you thought this would be 
like this is the one like this is such a cool home exchange i wish i could do this well i'll I'll tell you one we did that wasn't really on the radar it wasn't really on the bucket list but it made the cut for us we got an inquiry and probably 80 percent of our exchanging our inquiries we send and we're very focused But every once in a while, we see the lottery ticket come in and say, let's do it. It was an inquiry from a working farm with cows and sheep and a farm pond and uh, everything that goes along with it in the San Juan Islands, on Lopez Island specifically, and uh, almost no internet. And that was last August. We went there for 10 days, and I watched my son row out in the rowboat with a fishing pole and sit for three hours and, you know, just lean back and learn to milk cows and everything else. We didn't have to run the whole farm, (laughs) but that probably wasn't what you expected when you asked. But for us, that was, uh, and, and the irony was the owner said, I never thought anyone would want to come to our farm. said, you would have people lining up in every major city of the world to be able to expose their children to this. Yeah, people would pay yeah, right? big money to like yeah. a weekend away to learn about farming, right? Exactly. So that was one. And then uh, we have everything from uh, boats and uh, tree houses. We have uh, an actual game reserve in in Africa. Uh, and you, you earlier mentioned Bali. We have those great uh, Bali homes in uh, Seminiac, you know, that come with uh, a housekeeper and a, a chef. And you might think, how can you possibly get a house of this quality in exchange for my home? Well, you know, th- those homes were more affordable and the cost of labor is a little lower there. And those people would love to come to, you know, be near their uh their family, wherever you are. So they don't feel like uh, they're trading down at all. And many times they want to get off the island for a little bit. Yeah, so the, 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 the full gamut, I would say of our 66,000 listings, probably three to 5,000, I would qualify as luxury by, you know, pretty traditional definition. And yet some of them are doing it solely for the experience and they're very receptive to think out of the box. And some of the people in the luxury category are more discriminating and only want to trade with a luxury home. But I honestly think that that's the minority. We, we have the, the full gamut and I think we have a lot of people that are just looking to think out of the box and go somewhere they've never thought about before because they've structured their life as a priority to them in a way that they have some flexibility to do that. Yeah. And I think what's really neat too, on the, on the flip side is when someone's coming to your home, you get to, you know, if you enjoy where you live and this happens for me when, when I come back to the Philadelphia area, you know, after traveling and people must say like, Oh, it must be such a letdown and this and that. But I come back with like, you come back with fresh eyes on a place that you, you might've lived forever, or maybe you've lived for a little while and it's kind of neat to get to play tour guide. Now, you might not be there in person to play tour guide, but you get to, you know, it's fun to to like put together a map and here's my five favorite places to eat and things like that. So even if you think it, it, it might be boring because you're in it right now, I think thinking about it in a way of like, if someone's only coming for a month, what would I tell them? And most places in the world are going to have plenty of things to do for a couple weeks or a month or anything like that. So I think that's a neat 
kind of like residual effect is that you get to kind of pump up the things that you like to do and, and show someone a good time. Even if you're not physically there to hold their hand, you can tell them what to do. So that's got to be pretty cool when you rent out or when you exchange your home. Yeah. I mean, for, first of all, the old adage that there's no place like your own bed, uh, we've all experienced getting home and, uh, really, I don't know. There's something about a bed that ends up for better or worse, fitting like a glove, uh, returning to your own bed. And I joked with my wife today because we had a little rain today. I said, what I wouldn't give to get back into game of Thrones, you know, get an episode here. There is that part. And the, the other thing that's been interesting for me is probably my single biggest surprise in the home exchange community is, uh, I always assumed, well, if these are just people, the level of hospitality and, and service will never be able to compete with what hotels can offer. And I've been totally shocked that uh, the level of hospitality and, and generosity, uh, my the way I approach someone staying at my home now keeps going up and it's fun. And And I'll give you an example is one of our members at a, we had a member meetup in Paris in May. And one of our members was telling us, yeah, you know, I went to, uh, I don't even remember, let's say it was Amsterdam. And I, I opened the refrigerator and it felt like a little local market. There were 80 things in there. Each had a little typed index card describing why this was important locally to the culture and community and how to use it. And I took all these pictures and posted it. No one believed and everyone thought it was the exception. And I'm not saying most people go to that effort with the refrigerator, but uh, the quality of the hosts in our community is just mind blowing. It's so amazing that if anything, and I say this as the president of homeexchange.com, it makes me feel grossly inadequate but I, I, I strive to improve how I host now every time we host. Well, I think that's the thing, right? Everyone ups their level a little bit. If you go to a home that you think has done a better job at, at making it comfortable or whatever it is, you, you naturally, you know, you're, most people are pretty competitive and they don't, you know, they don't want to just take, they want to give as well. So then all of a sudden you come home and maybe you're typing up index cards next time or something like that because you feel like, hey, someone did this for me. Let's continue this this level of, of accommodating spirit and things like that. And I think that will only continue to push everyone a little higher and a little higher. And just to add one point to that, the the interesting thing to me is I don't see this when I rent a home. I think when you rent a home, it's purely transactional and that both sides are doing the balancing of the books and saying, well, you only paid me this much. I'm not going to do X, Y, Z, right? You got what you paid for. You know, I gave you clean towels and clean sheets. I'm not going to furnish the refrigerator. This isn't a five-star hotel. However, when you do the home exchange experience and, and, uh, it, the, the, the equation that people have in their minds is, the the golden rule the more i give the more i will ultimately get back through this experience and over and over that's proven to be true to me and that's the most magical part of the home exchange concept to me 
Once Jim and I got to talking, there was no stopping us, so we have split up this interview into two parts. This concludes part one of my interview with Jim, but if you liked what you heard here, you're definitely going to want to tune into part two of my interview with Jim. In part two, Jim talks about the places with the most home exchanges. And it's really cool because this is a lot of the more expensive countries, so you can really cut down on your accommodation costs there. How Home Exchange has put in a thing that gives you the ability to search by passion, which is really neat. It's not region-based, but it's passion-based. What type of travel do you want to do? You can find a home that works for you. How you can make personal connections through Home Exchange and a very rockin', quote-unquote, rockin' travel mishap. You're going to want to check out part two. You can do that. That will come out on Thursday. If you're listening to this when it first came out on Tuesday, you can get that in two days on Thursday. Or if you're listening in the future, of course, you can roll right into part two on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Jabbercast. Of course, you can find it also at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. You can actually find all 183 episodes there. So if you're looking for some more travel podcasts, go dig into the archives. Lots of good episodes there. So thank you guys for tuning in today. Don't forget to check out part two with Jim. And of course, until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris and all that.